Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Pierre, which is Herman Melville's 1852 novel about a trust fund himbo and how he loves his sister, also his mom. Yes, in that way. <laughs> and how. Yeah. Um, yes, this, is, this is a sweaty novel. Um, but yeah. why do we want to read it? Well, I wanted to read it again because I have a sickness and um, it's not getting better. And all that I need is more Pierre in my life. No. Um, <laughs> Herman Melville Crazy was the newspaper headline about this book. And it should have been Herman Melville Horny. Because that's actually the truth. He and wrote a letter to his sister Gus that said, I ain't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Herman Melville Horney really does uh, sum up the entire oeuvre, right? Of, yeah, of oh, for sure. Except for Bartleby, which is whatever anti, which shrivel. It's, it's still a little horny. It's still no. a little horny, but. Okay. That's Ginger nut, hello? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, Herman Melville, Herman Melville, horny is true. There are lots of different ways to think about this novel and Pierre, Pierre the book and Pierre the Pierre. So just think like inside of Pierre and in the novel, there are two wolves and they're fighting, they're fighting this battle. And one is Pierre's mom and one is Pierre's sister. And which one is going to win the battle? The one you fuck. No, that's not it. Um, <laughs> Yes. So anyway, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre. Which Pierre? There are three of them in this one book alone. But he's got the sister mom thing. And then he's he's got a thing with his dad, which we'll definitely talk a lot about. But his dad is also him and mm-hmm. also God and also a painting. Catholic God. <laughs> Catholic God. But Pierre is a Puritan. <laughs> oh, but, <laughs> yeah. but there's some Catholic God madonna like a prayer video yeah oh for sure strap on your bustier it's time to pray (laughs) (laughs) um but he has a lot go he's a man he's a boy (laughs) who has a lot going on is what pierre is he is 19 years of age the plot of the first half of this novel which i know i'll get into but it's mostly about him flirting with his mommy Mm -hmm. and dairy products the second half is him flirting with satan which is also America and God and mm-hmm. his dad mm-hmm. and him. Yeah. Um, that's the book. We can we could stop here. Are you guys good? <laughs> oh, God. I, I can't believe there's more to say. Yeah. There's, there couldn't be more. There could not be more to say. But the saddest part about this slash the funniest part is that Melville was so excited. It was baby's first incest novel and he was so excited to tell everyone about it he told all his business people about it he told his friends about it he was like listen sophia hawthorne i know you're married to my number one guy nathaniel (laughs) but i'm gonna forgive you for that for one second because you read pierre my favorite book and you're the only girl who understands it so uh i love you as much as i can because you're with my Hawthorne. And <laughs> I love you as much as I can love anyone but Hawthorne. Yes, I love you as much as you, you're not Hawthorne, never mind. But he described this novel as a bowl of milk, 
And I think that that's true. <laughs> a bowl of something. Um, <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Uh, I'll, 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 I'm sorry. I will keep under control. It's just this beautiful, <laughs> weird bastard, you know? He yeah. fully, fully lost his grasp on what people liked. Well, he yeah. never, ha- I don't think he had a grasp on what people liked. And I think that that is the blessing of Herman Melville. He did. I think people were like, hey, this Omu is really something to behold. And then he was like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he did. He didn't know how to write popular fiction with us. I was like, "Yeah, fuck that. That's stupid." Yeah. And you all are stupid. So, yeah. <laughs> he he did. Th- okay, so just can anybody help me get my mind around why he really thought that everybody was going to love this thing? I've got questions about that myself. He was fully. Se- this is the thing that you have to know before we get into anything else. Yeah, he was one hundred percent serious. He was a grown adult man who had written many novels and met many people and been disliked to various degrees by many of them. He rocked. Mm-hmm. And he really thought that what he was going to do was steal House of the Seven Gables and put a little Melvillian twist on it. A great Hawthorne novel. Check it out. It's really upsetting, actually. Also, but, it's an amazing novel. Yeah. Like, read it. Yeah. Oh, it's so Prepare it's for the upsetting so shit. Yeah. It's so good. But it's also Hawthorne's weirdest. So I'll just uh, – maybe it's his weirdest. It's one of his weirdest. But Melville was inspired to write this largely based on a scene in that novel that's about chickens. It's about <laughs> chickens. The heredity of chickens. <laughs> and – yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I love that novel. It's been years since I read it. I don't remember the chicken part at all, but then I am not a great genius. I uh, don't either. And this is well, the, the famous chicken digression from which all of literature comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I, okay. I mean, I trust, I trust Herman. So in Herman, we trust. Yeah. I'm going to leave it there because so there are so many funny little review things that I want to just pop off about, but I'm going to keep my bowl of milk in the bowl <laughs> for now, for now. Okay. Uh, why did I want to read this? Herman Melville, obviously. It's I'm starting to run out of books of his, which is I'm going to run out eventually. That's so sad. Uh, well, I still have whatever the middle period is yeah. between popular and insano. I'm sure you skip some poems, too. Oh, I'm skipping all the poems. I like yeah. the one at the end of Billy Budd, and that's it. <laughs> Billy and the Darbies. I even remember yeah. the title. Yeah. It's a great, that's a great one. Okay, so like many, many years ago, I told my husband that if we had a kid, I would like to name it Quentin, no matter the gender, after the characters in The Sound and the Fury. And he told me at the time that there was a flaw in my plan, which is if we had more than one kid, in his words, we would never be able to leave them alone together. (laughs) (laughs) Take it ahead. Yeah, that is that is a problem with the uh, Faulknerian illusions. Uh-huh. Yeah, a little bit. And it turns actually okay. So it turns out that if you are a character in an American novel, you can basically name your kid whatever you want, and they are still going to get into sibling trouble. So the name really would not have helped. <laughs> yeah, uh, true, true. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair uh, point. 
It's true. I would also like it known that I, so like we've been talking about this for however many years, but like I made my offhanded but also pretty sincere claim that a major element of the American novel is sibling incest before I read this book. And wow, <laughs> wowie zowie, does this only support that? Yeah. I had a theory. Now I have some praxis. I mean, you know, it's the, the sibling. It's a, it, yeah. you are you are right that the sibling incest is so central to the American novel that that I'm almost like, oh well, yeah, obviously he wants to bang his sister. I mean, that's we, this is the United States. The mommy incest <laughs> thing is like, wow, dude, like I like no, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, no you are out there on a live there, my friend. No, you no, know? Mr. Yeah. Daddy Freud had not written that <laughs> no. essay, those essays no. yet. No, he could have skipped it and just handed this out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I bet he read it though. Um, but this isn't even the first sibling incest novel because Wieland, and this is even this may not even be the most famous one. But I hesitate to say it's the best one because there are so many good ones, and also The Mountain Lion by Jane Stafford. Read it. That said, it is the craziest one by yeah. orders of magnitude. It's really something. Yeah. I feel, sh- I'm kind of shook. And it's like, all I do is read novels. <laughs> yeah. I should have been prepared. Yeah. You can open it to any page and singe your eyebrows off. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And this is like, this is the version of Herman Melville that had gone like off the rail. Like we do not even start this book on the rails. It's just like there's l- parts that are like literally a script from MILF porn where his yeah. mom answers the door in like a silky robe with her booby out. Yeah. Like, yes. Oh. And P- Pierre demands four bowls of milk from the servant. <laughs> yeah. It's but, yeah. bananas. And I assume, okay, like, at this point, this man did not give a single fuck, except that like he thought people would love it, which I don't know. And I think it's partly because he was like sad that people didn't like Moby Dick, and so he had like lost all purchase on what people would like because people were wrong to not like Moby Dick. True. Yeah. And I just really like it when writers decide that they're gonna go totally off script. And the script is Nathaniel Hawthorne, who I'm convinced said in a letter, please write a novel, Herman. Please, I am begging you. Please make it a real actual novel. And he was like, bruv, love you. But I'm not doing that. Yeah, it's not me. That's I would not do me, anything for, for your love, Nathaniel Hawthorne, but I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes yes touching so yeah that's the, 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 the i mean honestly meatloaf could have based that song off of the two of them but mm-hmm. um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just so good that he 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 told hawthorne to fix moby dick and he was like no i gotta cover this time <laughs> I, I, like, I don't need you anymore yeah no we're we're good here oh man Mate, i'm fine yeah. i'm yeah. right but into I'm- your wife <laughs> yeah, 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 don't. Yeah. don't. Yes, and that, my sister, who I totally call Gus, which is like the cutest sister nickname, but I don't want to actually go much further into his relationship with his own sister. 
Yeah. Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kate. You, I don't know if that with if uh, don't email my wife actually came via first from Nathaniel Hawthorne to her. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, there was a comet in the sky, and it said, "Don't email my wife." <laughs> Except no, I, 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 I know Hawthorne <laughs> fully knew that uh, that the Herbert Melville was doing Eve Sedgwick uh, homosociality tri- triangulated there. Uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Except there are no men in this novel, except for ghosts and portraits and all yes. manner of you know the law of the father etc yeah <laughs> oh man all right so why did i want to read it i mean better melville than dead am i right right <laughs> we uh we stand our listeners stand because our listeners are, are good and, and right about things and every, everyone knows this everyone knows that uh, herman melville is king mm-hmm. we will be yeah. talking about the confidence man soon 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 yes oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one is going to blow your minds <laughs> it's real potter we got a lot to do all right but katie i have to say you changed m- the way i think about this book by telling me that herman melville thought that people would like this which i'm kind of dumbfounded by because the first time i read it a decade ago i was just absolutely floored by the extent that pierre does not give any fucks uh my my impression was melville was like oh okay okay my ultra queer whale book was too real for you i guess you fucking dickheads did you not like how i pointed out how you're all racist psychopaths and benito serino well guess what i've got a mother son sister brother incest poly triad incest with a if, even another person in there about how stupid the united states is can how i bring are- my girlfriend <laughs> wait my cousin's coming Hang yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh how how our aristocrats are even bigger inbred dumb fucks than the european ones boom mic drop bofa ligma <laughs> hm out you cocks okay like i thought that was the yeah, point of this yeah yeah. But you tell me that my dude thought 1850s America was going to like this novel, and that is just amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a beautiful, tragic, brilliant weirdo. I didn't think I could stand harder, but now I do. Love you, Herm XO. Oh. Just, just, the ki- just the king. Absolute king. <laughs> I love you, Herman. <laughs> uh, yeah. So today, we are talking about the joints of the family dad mom brother sister cousin etc uh we're talking about the nation and we're talking about this book sort of mediations so portraiture novels plays etc so katie will you give us the summary so this is gonna be nuts and (laughs) it's not my fault (laughs) not not even a little (laughs) i didn't do it but herman melville did so we open in the place that is full of the best people, the Berkshires. <laughs> we're, uh, we're on the Saddle Meadows estate, and that is where Pierre and Mommy live. We open the novel, and Pierre is absolutely just elbow deep in flirting with his mother. He's like, we call each other, bro- they call each other brother and sister. Pierre is a handsome, strapping young lad, and mother knows this. Small small hands and big burly arms. He's got the smallest hands and the biggest arms and the biggest heart and a brain that's um, a regular size, I think. But but, so we have Pierre and we have Pierre's mom, who is Pierre with the girl filter on. You know that one. (laughs) She's wicked hot, right? Since we're in the pictures. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And he admires her ardently, let's say. 
as do a lot of other people that Melville takes care to point out that she is widely considered to be a MILF. <laughs> yeah. And Pierre. But like, oh, nobody marry my mom. <laughs> yeah, Pierre does Pierre's like, nobody marry my mom. Also, I really want a sister. Can I please have a sister? Do I have a sister? Can I get a sister? I'm 19. Can I get a sister? It seems like he says now, would to heaven I had a sister. Well, buddy, I got news for you. <laughs> We get a bunch of these flirting scenes. We get a lot of America talk. And we also get – I just want to – this is the thing that really says something to me that I can't quite figure out. So there's a scene where Pierre's helping his mom dress and he's tying a ribbon around her neck. And she's like, oh, you have to tie the ribbon, Pierre. And he's like, I I shall fasten it with a kiss, sister. Very um, chill and regular scene, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very, very regular, yeah. Yeah, so we were just having it normal last time. And uh, with our tiny hands and our mother's neck. Uh, <laughs> and Pierre also is like very hungry. That's another thing. As we set him up, he's a he's a country guy and he's super hungry. And again, he loves dairy. And he's also involved with this woman, Lucy Tartan, who is blonde. She's very blonde. <laughs> she has the bluest eyes. And she has just nothing going on in her brain. And Pierre's mother says, that's what I love most about her. <laughs> She's the lady who just like stumbles into an 18th or 19th century novel to be blonde. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. And, and, and I think like also wicked hot, right? But yeah. like <laughs> in, a, in an in extremely blank way, right? Like, I mean, I, I kind of think that like everyone in this novel is supposed to be very sexy. Um, but I think with varying degrees of blankness, maybe. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, but oh, it, the and maybe that changes with Lucy in the second half of the novel, but I would just like like hot blonde lady seemed to be like her major characteristics. Right? Well, Isabel has like I don't think that she's represented as deep in Melville's voice, but for Pierre, she's deep as hell because she's like a brunette. Yeah, uh, she's like a brunette, hot, mysterious lady. There, there's some, there's some real Walter Scott hours here going on with the for whole, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The sexy brunette of uncertain origins. Yes, yes. Who in skies? Ooh, the Celtic other, which I already fuck off with. And here it's, I think, uh, it, I mean, some, yeah, something else. Well, French, among other things, but we'll get there, right? The French. The, fr- <laughs> the French and their damn baguettes and their Pierres. <laughs> <laughs> so Pierre, in spite of the fact that he's 19 years old, is also, the, we're told, the head of the House of Glendinning. And this is because his father has died. Uh, he died when he was a little boy. And we'll get into this more, but his father, well, he does have a sister. And that's because his father uh, had a little fun on the side. <laughs> so Did he, he was on- act like Walter Scott? Katie, do you know? I, I don't remember if he liked Walter Scott. So yeah, T- Twain famously said that Scott caused the Civil War, which is both a, a slightly unfair and hilarious. Um, I. <laughs> I would be shocked if Hawthorne and Melville didn't like Scott for sure, almost purely because of like the sort of like deep history bullshit that they were both Mm -hmm. obsessed with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, you're definitely right. You're 100% right. Formally, he liked Scott for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he thought the same thing about romance as as he did. Oh, that seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, nobody. Where's my head, people? Uh, (laughs) Nobody thought the same thing. So anyway, the beginning of this book is a little bit, it's like slightly, it struggles to get going weirdly, but it's also awesome because everybody is sort of making fun of each other. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, that's an underrated facet of this book, I think, 
so we're like we're getting introduced to Lucy and we're also getting introduced to his mother who is kind of a b word we find out <laughs> yeah we also find out that she in keeping with uh with this quality here she likes Lucy because her mom is rich and she's only got her daughter basically it's incredibly fucking weird and i just want to say all the things but i won't anyway pierre loves horses cuz his grandfather did we're go we're doing horse we're doing horse shit right now we get into a bunch of history right and it, through the eyes of a horse literally <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty much so that's so that's where we get introduced to the grandfather and what i what i wanted to talk about with the grandfather a little bit i'm sure we'll get into this is everyone's like listen he was the nicest nicest guy you've ever met he slaughtered so many so many people yes he slaughtered so many native people but he was the nicest guy really great super super cool he had a white beard it was pure white and it was as white as he is nice <laughs> yeah and white yeah, yeah. and what have i have i mentioned he's white his beard i mean so I mean, so what I like the the grandfather connection is hilarious. I also have one other thing to point out about the horses because there's a moment with the horses that really made me want to kill everyone in the novel. Uh, but like, so okay, so I, here's what idea that I have. I don't know if it'll stick or not. We'll find out. But is that like the American aristocracy, which is already bullshit of a kind, right? Because it's so, I mean, it's like its origins are so recent, and it's you know, but like that it's already like eating itself. And so because like the the impression of Grandpa Pierre is that he's a fucking centaur like giant and <laughs> right, Pierre right. is a is a is a little you know <laughs> little dainty man with tiny hands even though he's also hot so we get this this is a, a i guess chapter three of book two the grandfather of pierre measured six feet four inches in height during a fire in the old manorial mansion with one dash of his foot he had smitten down an oaken door to admit the buckets of his, his slaves pierre had often tried on his military vest which still remained an heirloom at, at saddle meadows and found the pockets below his knees and <laughs> plenty additional room for a fair-sized quarter cask within its buttoned girth right it's okay so you know it's just like wow right like i mean that i, I mean am i wrong there, that that just like it's like no. we come from a race of giants who was like i don't know like 20 or 30 years in the past or something yeah. you know but as a as a as a recent descendant of uh, in the american novel we have to underscore that per sibling incest rules this is all absolutely and roundly fucked Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and sorry, I, I'm just going to throw this out there because again, it. I. oh my God, please, everyone die. Um, Pierre is doing, Katie mentioned the love of horses, right? He's He's got the horses all like set up for a, for, for a jaunt in the carriage or whatever. And he's doing like acrobatics among the reins and like the horses like split, you know, they get horse spit on his shoulders and Lucy thinks that that, yeah. Okay. So Lucy says, uh, uh, why Pierre, they have made an officer of you. Look, and she pointed to two foam flakes epauletting his shoulders bravissimo again i call you my recruit when you left my window this morning and here you are promoted ha 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 ha, ha. like oh my god please oh. all of you fucking die right <laughs> like, bad 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 shit <laughs> who are these morons <laughs> yeah Yes, everyone is like each character much. is dumber than the next, and the next time you meet the same character, they're even dumber than the last time you were. It's true. Something they're just <laughs> dro drooling dairy products. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everywhere yeah. they're just dribbling morons. Yeah, they're incredible. <laughs> yeah, and their obsessions are as dumb as they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have this romance for the ages with old spittle shoulders, Pierre, and 
Lucy. But there's a problem, see? A very regular-ass problem that people come across all the time in relationships, which is that Pierre has a vision of a face. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lucy won't marry him until he tells her what the secret face is. You know, a regular fight like couples have, but the secret (laughs) face you see in your fantasies. Totally, yeah. Uh, so I Pierre's have a painting like, in my closet. Um, it's not a secret at all. <laughs> a painting of my hot dad in my closet, <laughs> and I gotta look at it a lot. You have to admit he was hot, though. Yeah. I tried to turn it around, but I got sad when I did, so I put it back. <laughs> so anyway, the face problem—the <laughs> the, the issue of the face. So it turns out that this face is accosting him everywhere as he does rural shit. As he does country, country crap. So he's riding around and going to hang out with the two Miss Pennies. Yes, that's the two Miss Pennies. They love to do Christian charity. And what do you know? You can still be a total B and do Christian charity. (laughs) Yeah. Herman Melville, everyone. Yep. (laughs) And that's why Pierre's mom is there. Because you can. They're doing they're doing some uh, some needlework to um, and they're, they're like they're having a special little meeting and what do you know an incident occurs a lady falls into a swoon who do you think that could be what kind of a face do you think was on her face well it was the one Pierre saw that's right but he doesn't know that yet and neither does his mother and that makes her really pissed off she's like Pierre Pierre you're acting all weird Pierre what's your problem. I don't like mysteries. I never read um, <laughs> Agatha Christie. It disturbs me. <laughs> what if you marry, and this is her big thing. She's like, Pierre, I swear to God, if you marry some brown-eyed lady who is even <laughs> slightly more intelligent than I am, I'm going to be the most pissed that ever was. And do all kinds of weird nonsense with uh, utensils. Spoilers. <laughs> yes. There's, yeah, so, so much. So anyway, he's beginning to have some longings, some stirrings, some sensations, some meditations, some spontaneous impulses, you know, the stuff Pierre has. <laughs> and everyone is getting a little bit annoyed at Pierre, right? So his mom's like, stop mystifying the mystery is my favorite thing, she says. <laughs> Why are you mystifying it? It's a mystery. <laughs> but there's one thing that's not mysterious, and that's that there's going to be a marriage, but not the one you think. But the one you think at this point is that Pierre is going to marry Lucy. And so his mother has called in the minister, right? The the man of the Lord, the Reverend Mr. Not-So-Good Guy. They have this conversation about this other couple, Ned and Deli. And what's happened here is that he, she's a little, little pregnancy has occurred. And everyone's talking about Deli. And they're like... We should throw her out, cast her out. And Pierre's mom is like, yes. And the minister's like, yeah, kind of, yeah, sure. I don't know. Christ, I'm not very much like him. But he's also like, lady, you're a little judgy, though. Yeah. Yes. At the first time. The first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the description of Reverend Falsgrave is also, he also has like dainty little hands, right? Like much like mm-hmm. Pierre. Uh <laughs> But he's also, I don't know, he's very set. He, he likes to eat, right? So he's guy. He he's sort of like false staffy in, in some kind of way. But he, but the, yeah, he like he basically the thing is he won't go against Mrs. Glendenny. 
right? Like he, he, uh, well, he, he kind of like sort of does, but then his whole thing is like, he wants to be in the lady's good graces because he, then they will give him more food. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, that is the, this character, right? Like yeah. I mean, he likes to go to yeah. rich ladies houses and eat really well. That's like, that's why he got into the, the, the clergy in the first place. If you all didn't know, there's a direct correlation between small hands and sperm count you heard it here first. I made it up. But Herman Melville said it first. <laughs> I mean, that is what's being- Freaking be- love science. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. does it, like, to go back to, like, isn't that the implication, right? Yes, that, it, yes. that we're That we're, yes, that like, yeah, like, okay, th- never mind the fact that they're hot, because I wouldn't tell you a story about people who weren't hot. True. But uh, like, clearly they're not manly like their their grandfathers were. No, and that's something that he for sure got from Hawthorne. I mean, I know it was an idea that was around, but this huge big boy giant thing and b- being coming small and dainty was for sure one of those, one yeah. of those shits he picked up. Yeah. Back to the one guy with small hands. It's Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> and Pierre has received a mysterious letter. <gasps> who do you think it, who do you think it's from? I bet it's from the face lady. Oh, hey, you get an A at podcast school. <laughs> and that's well, why you have a PhD. Yes. <laughs> so, Dr. Booknower. So he gets this letter from Isabel that says, come see me, but at nighttime only. Mm-hmm. XOXO, your sister. Oi, 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 oi. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. And Pierre's like, ahuga, it looks like there's blood on this. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You cried on this too much, so my Peppy Le Pew energy is going down. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is one of these words also where um where Pierre has to leave the house. And the quote is he could not stay in his chamber. The house contracted to a nutshell around him. Melville said it, so we didn't have to. <laughs> Distracted into a nutshell. Yes. Oh my God. So he's at the house of Pierrington. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Melville is really has really gotten into one of the major themes of this book here, and that is fate, and also how much it matters to him that his dad only fucked his mom. Mm-hmm. So then we get we get this giant. Giant, giant, giant account of his father's life, his death, and his painting. And he has this aunt who has a little t- uh, the chair portrait of Pierre's father, and Pierre loves that one. And that's where he gets he, in, in, as a boy. He's talking to this maiden aunt who apparently loved his father more than his mother did, because th- that's regular how it is, you know. <laughs> yep, your sister always loves you the most. And the, but the, the little, the chair painting thing, the aunt was like, yeah, I, I love this. Your mom, she hates this painting. It is not because of the mysterious French woman that showed up around the time that it was painted. <laughs> no, what it is, not. is that she is a bigger one. Mm-hmm. That's gotta be it. <laughs> <laughs> I, but like yeah the whole thing like pierre like oh my dad could only have fucked one person or i'm gonna be real sore about that and it'll that'll lead me on a disastrous path of banging my sister and stop banging my mom <laughs> or whatever but like that's not actually what the novel cares about right like that like the dad's like fidelity slash infidelity is is just is a cover for some other like patrilineal bullshit that's happening right 
it has bigger fish to fry. Like that's I that's how I take it. It's just yeah. like that's not the business of the portrait is just about like this is a horny portrait and so his mom doesn't want to look at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's I, I like I feel like, uh, you know, a Hawthorne not well, like, you know, like the Scarlet Letter would have been more invested in like what what society thought of these sort of things. And Melville, I think, is more about I don't know. I mean, we're getting to some point about the US being stupid. <laughs> it matters that he abandons yes. Isabel, but I don't think it matters at all that yeah. he had like an affair. Right. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with this. It matters in the sense that it's what disappoints Pierre the most that that this is the thing people care about. Right. That he's not mm-hmm. able to enact his salvific plan because this is a bridge too far for his mother. Yeah. P.S. Remember how on his deathbed he just said, "My daughter, my daughter, my daughter," and Pierre was like, "That seems uh, weird, but I'm gonna let it go." <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Like, but he doesn't have a daughter. That's, that's, that's funny. Your daughter. Yeah. But it's I'm I'm little Pierre. Yeah, yeah, no, the- but, but, yeah. Right. This is like the this is the Michael Pale. Uh, I think it was Michael Pale, a character in uh, in Monty Python of the Holy Grail. It's like, but I'm your son, father. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, it's fucking painting shit. Um, yeah, it's not about the painting. It's not about the painting. But a little bit, it's about the it's a little bit about the painting, but it's not totally about the painting. It's actually what it's about is the doubling, the mm. doubling of the the doubling of the painting, uh, the, or the the proliferation of the painting, I should say. But anyway, we've got a smile, right? He's smiling. He's doing a little Mona Lisa. He's giving a a little tiny tiny grin, and this is the this is one side of ambiguity. I should have said that the title of this is Pierre or the ambiguities, and. <laughs> Boy, howdy, do we get a lot about ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, as ambiguous as a video title. Like, you'll never guess what happened when my stepmom walked in, right? It's like, it's, it's very ambiguous, yeah. yeah. Ding uh, dong, the pizza man's here. Yeah. So finally, Pierre, Pierre's got this letter, and he's just flipping a nut, thinking about his dad, thinking about his sister, thinking about his fiance. No. Oh, shit. He has to do that. So he tells, he's like, hey, Lucy, lady, I have to go. I just have to go. And I can't tell you anything about it. But just know that if I don't explain it, it means I love you more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. That's it. That's right. Yeah, sure. But he basically is like, yeah, I got to see my sister got to do it. So he goes to visit her again at nighttime because she said, it's got to be nighttime, buddy. Nighttime's the only time to hang out with your sister. And it's like the most silent silence of all the silence. And he 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 gets to Isabel and she is, so she tells him in two parts the story of her life. And the first part is basically her account of being sort of feral in the house of like of different families and kind of possibly crossing the ocean as an infant with her French mm-hmm. mom, but maybe not. We don't know. We don't know that she's – we're not sure she's French, but we think she is. Um, it's, it's like, not entirely 100% clear, I think, is 
I think is an important part of this. Yeah, I, I will say like so, it, it, there it, it does get like real kind of gothy. And mm-hmm. um, actually, I, I did th- find this chapter like quite upsetting, right? Like the the, uh, the like little kid in this house where like no one will talk to her and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And we think it, it's in, it seems to be in like some like decaying French chateau initially. Yeah, right. And there's the, then there's the transatlantic voyage or whatever. She's got this in back in America, too. She's got the same thing, right? She's and she just she's she's like kind of got a home with this farmer and well, surprise, surprise, what does Pierre's fucking dad have? A giant ass estate. And so she's sort of like living just living with his family on the outskirts of it. And they're like, All right, you're old enough now. Skedaddle. Like, so the story of her and her father also is one of these things that doesn't get narrated totally linearly. So we double back and find out that she's had this the way she's found out about her parentage is that he dropped a handkerchief once when he went to visit her and this is a weird fucking part Mm -hmm. because she's like my dad dropped this handkerchief and it says d-a-d on it that's not at all what he said (laughs) your dad (laughs) he dad's dad check out your brother if you liked me wait until you meet your brother um so she is also – she's not totally 100% normal. And what I mean by that is that she has some sort of supernatural ethereal quality to her, which comes out in the weirdest fucking way when she busts out a guitar <laughs> and, and starts it- strumming a tune that is beyond weird. It's just her own name. It's a mystical guitar. And it's just her own name over and over. We have no idea what's going on. But Pierre has left his body due yeah. to aesthetic appreciation and also probably other stuff. Yeah. Like to the point about everyone making fun of each other. And, and like, it, so I was just like, oh, yeah, it, it gets sad and gothy here. This is what it gets so fucking weird that I think, oh, all right, dude, like you're fucking with us again. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's it's Nelson playing the guitar for Lisa. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kept replaying that in my head. I was like, that's what this is, right? This is just like. A comedy of errors in which, like, the lady has the burning eyes and big hair of a gothic heroine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that was something that came up in the reviews a lot. There was a guy who dunked on Melville because of the burning eyes thing. (laughs) Well... <laughs> and, yeah. and and the big hair, <laughs> the, the big hair that is so it's like a curtain. You see, it's like a curtain. The yeah. hair is a metaphor, <laughs> and also sexy. And veil, the veil of hair, the veil of the veil of hair. Yes, the veil of hair. Beyond the veil of hair, we there is nothing, and you must pierce it. You see, with the staff and such. Um, Pierre and Pierre and Isabel, they're just doing regular songs and singing some tunes and pierre returns another night to get the second half of this weird story and there's more guitar playing and there's also <laughs> some talk of ned and deli who as you'll remember is the the other illegitimate quote-unquote child in the mix who died right so that's the other thing isabel is the one who goes to deli and get and takes her child who has died and buries the child so it seems like a weird digression or a strange thing to loop in, but the connection that Melville's making is sort of a profound one. And there's that one little moment that get, there's more of this in the second half, but it, it really is sort of something. And the thing to pay attention to is in part, at least the doubling 
And so Pierre goes to back to Fallsgrave and and sort of like has his Jesus moment. So the other thing to know about Pierre is that Pierre's like Jesus if Pierre if if Jesus just weren't good at Christing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Hot Jesus with small hands and not much brain. No, not not much, but a lot of feelings. Yeah. So many feelings. And yet again, I have to interrupt here and be like, somehow Herman Melville was going around and like, Gus, Lizzie, Nate, Sophia, this book is totally normal and everyone's gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I mean, do you think he, like, he let the Hawthorns read this and was like, yes, they're, they're really going to like it, right? And they're like, yeah, man. Yikes. <laughs> so, I can't. Yikes. It's like, I, I don't have the heart to tell him, do you? <laughs> <laughs> he seems a little off. <laughs> Everyone's going to love this. Oh, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre. My little friend. Uh, as an aside, he also like demanded, he believed so much that people would like this, he demanded money. He was like, you should give me a huge advance because this is going to rip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we have a lot of existential drama. There's one point Pierre, after Pierre is disappointed by society as a whole and the lack of sort of Christian charity in, in expelling Delhi. And his mom is not, in fact, a, a Madonna. She's a, a, a huge, a huge piece of shit. She's a mean lady and you don't like her anymore. Uh, was mean to Isabel, right? So she's at this sewing, she's at this fucking party, this charity party, and it turns out again we get confirmation that Isabel was the was the scene making lady, and she the the um the reason why she this fainting lady fainted or freaked out or had a had an episode is that she was sewing, and she stabbed herself in the heart. <laughs> right, right. Again, as you do. <laughs> While sewing. While so yes, while sewing and thinking about how lonesome you are and such. <laughs> so, so we get we get this. <laughs> it's just he's like, Yeah, I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do. He knows what he has to do quite a bit. The first thing he knows he has to do is go lay under a rock. And Tristan, I would you like to share about this yeah. rock because you've seen the fucking rock? Well, no, I, I looked the rock up. Right, it, it's yeah. It, he oh. called, well, yeah, he's created this. Oh my god, this idiot! Like he's created. <laughs> this, there's this rock that's balanced on another rock. It's kind of weird. I'm sure if you were six years old, you'd be like, "Wow, that's impressive." And then you get become twelve and are like, "This is the lamest thing I've ever seen in my life." But like, yeah, he like he's like oh, he calls it the Memnon Rock, and like no one else knew about it because no one else gives a shit, man. It's just a fucking rock at the woods and there's like some initials on it and he's like do you think those are from before when columbus was here even they're, they're like latin letters it's like clearly no i mean obviously no. <laughs> no but like so like yeah i mean so again pierre's doing this like this fucking grand national obviously nonsense myth i mean that you know about it like you know it's kind of american like anxiety about like we're not ancient like europe is you know, i mean you know, like white america right but right. like i looked up the the rock that inspired this is called the balance rock in western massachusetts and it it's like looking at this actually made me mad as to how unimpressive <laughs> it was and and i th i'm sure that this i kind of think that that's the joke melville's making you know what i mean <laughs> <That> like <laughs> pierre thinks that it's it's like got this grand mystique and, and, and it's like it's it's a fucking rock in the woods man it's just a little funny shape you know <laughs> he's like do it rock do it yeah. Trust me. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Do it. Oh, if you're going to do it, just do it. Yeah. You're a rock. If, if 
fate is real, then fucking smush me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. Which which is terribly funny because if fate is real and you weren't fated to get smushed by the rock, you're not getting smushed, pal. That's fate. <laughs> but he's mad at it. So he's got a lot of problems, Pierre. He's got a lot of problems. He's very much in love with his he's sister. He's got a sister. Isabel. So he's got a sister. Yeah. Does he ever? He uh, who loves to play guitar, whose name is mysteriously written on the inside of the the guitar that <laughs> she got from her mother. Or a uh, fuck. Everything's made up. I'm just. Mm-hmm. It's all made up and weird. But he's like, I have this problem. I love my sister. Lucy is going to be really sad. But what I have to do. Just there's no other option. I think we can all agree is that I have to say that I married my sister and then go live exactly as if that were true. (laughs) And that that will solve the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Flawless. Flawless logic on the part of Pierre. So we sort of, we leave Pierre in this half. We also, we find out so he's going to – he's going. He's doing this. He's t- and he's taking he's taking Deli with them into the city. And he's about to tell Mother, who we find out is the only person who has left any of the family land in his father's will because his father was not competent to alter the will after his birth is the reason given. So – Herman Melville has basically set up a giant powder keg that's about to explode into incest and a really cool time in the city. <laughs> and I can't wait to find out how well this goes yeah. next time <laughs> yep. on Pierre. Yeah, I, my, I, I again, it's been a decade since I've read this, but my memory is that the second half does not get more regular. If it's possible, it gets so much less regular. <laughs> I just can we talk just a little bit too about like two things. One, why he is so convinced by Isabel's story, right? And, I mean, okay. I mean, well, you know, there's just there's uh there's there's some like in even like a Hawthornian way, uh the inescapability of of uh, of, of like the sins of the father. Okay, fine. But okay, so all right, we, we get this is a conceit, this is how it's working. That like that his plan is that I'm going to say to because it would be just too scandalous for mom, dearest mother, who I'm not, in no way horny for. Who does not not have the same name as Melville's mother. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, wow. What? Um, uh, yeah. Every minute this gets weirder. And no, I... It- this part of my brain has snapped off and is drifting yeah. into the ether never to be seen nor heard from again. Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. I, di- I did not know that. That's, wow, I'm going to have to think about that for a little bit. But his plan is to say that instead that he's married to this, like, what the, f- like, this is the dumbest plan in American literature. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the worst plan. It's the plan that's guaranteed to piss everyone off. Yes. And- Yes. Solve nothing. Yes, yes, and I also I, I have to say I, I feel like it feels a little bit like we've been dunking on on Melvin and in the most good-hearted of ways. We of course are, but like I think all of the like what the fuck that is striking all of us is very much on like the point of the novel, right? You know, it's part uh, of what makes it good. Like you yeah. are, I'm rarely affected to this degree by a novel, and I'm being sincere when I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there are parts that are legitimately very moving yeah. and philosophically interesting also. Mm-hmm. 
So oh, I think the whole thing's really philosophically interesting. I think it's seen some crazy things, a lot of like very, very bleak and pessimistic things mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. which I'm a hundred percent down for. But um no, it's just it is it is maybe the most bonkers narrative of the nineteenth century US. Like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for sure. And just again, circling back to the point that Melville thought this was going to be just no. Co- yeah, I under I get it. You know, Moby Dick was a little out there. This <laughs> domestic drama. People love those. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, they sh- they sure do, man. <laughs> they yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. That's what that's what they like. That's what they like. So in the context part, I will talk a little bit about some of the contemporary reviews, which were so – I mean, some of them were uncharitable, to say the least, and not really fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just the pure bafflement is recognizable. <laughs> just what the, sh- what the shit were you doing, my friend? Yeah, other people's brains did not fare well. That's yeah. like a fine response to have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I, so too. I think so. Too. I, I have been fucked with by Herman Melville many times, but this is why it just like <laughs> fucking like jaw dropping the entire way through. You know, <laughs> been fucked with him many times, and this won't be the last time. No, but it's a memorable time. And so I think um, let's get into a little let's get into a little Melville background here. One thing to know about Melville as we start is that he had a lot of his own daddy issues. Uh, I shouldn't say daddy issues. Jesus Christ. So he had a lot of father problems. (laughs) One of which was that his dad just ran out of money. So we can kind of see where he's drawn some of this from. He had a bunch of money problems and he married a rich lady. So that solves that. (laughs) Right? I think we can all agree. Yeah. (laughs) just just yeah with good self-esteem with good self-esteem because uh here's what he said about his pierre and he wrote this to his publisher and said i got some do i have something for you pal he said um this book possessing unquestionable novelty as regards my former ones treating of utterly new scenes and characters and as i believe a very much more calculated for popularity than anything you've yet published of mine (laughs) Being a regular romance. <laughs> that was a serious plot to it. <laughs> okay. Stern passions at work and with all representing a new and elevated aspect of American mm-hmm. life. All of these considerations warrant me strongly in not closing with terms greatly inferior to those upon which our previous negotiations have proceeded. <clears throat> Fuck you, pay me, Herman Melville. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Irregular romance. <laughs> it's a regular romance. <laughs> With you a see. Mis- mysterious plot, I'll give him that. Stirring passions. Oh, are there? <laughs> you know? Are there ever? <laughs> passions are stirring. Passions are stirring. Yes. yes. And representing a new and elevated aspect of American life. See, I actually I think the opposite. Do like you wrote a story about like a f- like a dipshit people eating themselves with their own nonsense and like navel gazing bullshit you know (laughs) yeah you know those elevated persons the likes of which throw forks into pictures (laughs) at the dinner table and stab themselves in the heart with needles by accident yeah the hand-eye coordination happening here barrel-chested centaur-like men who slew natives by bonking their heads together three stooges style (laughs) (laughs) yeah They they combine racism and physical comedy like no one before. Uh, wow. Okay. 
not yeah so um I but seriously like i don't mean to jump in although i do but like no, please do. this came out the same year as uncle tom's cabin right it did that's right okay so like that's what people liked they did like that yes, and the- he was like fuck yeah i'm gonna do i'm gonna sell billion <laughs> million of these fuckers after that book like, is the oh, one that people liked like oh you want some sentimentalism is anyone sentimental about their mom and i mean in a i mean in a dirty kind of in way, a dirty way. <laughs> who, who out there has a mom or yeah. a sister yeah or a cousin no yeah anybody feelings so there's a bunch of um there's a reason why critical strains about this book kind of didn't really they it's a very it's a forking road it doesn't quite go to incest so much as it could or should it's right there on the table but it goes to a bunch of national identity stuff it goes to domesticity and it goes to it goes to the property and personhood Mm -hmm. and so melville's got all these threads going together he's got he's got the national stuff he's got the identity stuff the selfhood he has puritans he has um he has it all and the thing that's great is that Hawthorne sounds so tired when he talks about this walk that he took with Melville when he was writing this book. <laughs> the man sounds exhausted. Yeah. And I'm gonna I've got this passage here. I mean, can, like and Hawthorne, we of course also stand. Can you imagine? what it would have been like to sort of uh, be the Fred helping someone through the process of writing Moby Dick. Also knowing the friend was quite horny for you. I don't think really reciprocated, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Um, no. They, they took, they went on like three picnics. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It just, I mean, I, I have some sympathy for Hawthorne's <laughs> exasperation with this uh, very brilliant, but also quite, out there fred you know it is tough it really is <laughs> so so hawthorne which hawthorne seemed it was relatively normal actually <laughs> not in the sense of this is a regular romance normal um but we've got this we've got this note from hawthorne in his journal and he says yeah me and melville we took quote a pretty long walk together felt long may not have been long but it felt long <laughs> so we sat down in a hollow among the sand hills Okay, we're sitting in a hollow. And Melville, quote, as he always does, began to reason of providence and futurity and everything that lies beyond the human ken and informed me that he had pretty much made up his mind to be annihilated. <laughs> Whoa. <Okay. laughs> Jesus, oh, my God. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> It is strange. It's he persists in wandering, wandering to and fro over these deserts as dismal and monotonous as the sand hills amid which we're sitting. And then he goes like, "Yeah, but he's a decent guy. Like he's a good Christian. He's a decent guy. He's a very high and noble nature, and he is better worth immortality than most of us." Thank you, Hawthorne. Yeah, true. You're so tight. He's tired, though. Yeah. I, mean, um, I just I get like Nathaniel Hawthorne being like, this guy is too goth for me, man. Right. I mean, like, can you can you imagine? Like, literally everyone Hawthorne wrote about was a, a dense ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just like a meaty specter. Yeah. Oh, that well. was all he wrote about. Just to wrap all this shit up. Hawthorne was not the only one who couldn't quite figure this out. The critics didn't love this book until the the Melville centennial of his birth. So 
then people started sort of taking another look at it. Like, hey, this is weird, but maybe in a good way. And people began to find a bunch of stuff that I think is not going to come as a surprise, super surprise to anybody here. They began to find the stuff, Melville's digressions about America to be particularly interesting. The main thread, I think, actually, that I'm most interested in and I think perhaps perhaps the rest of us will be interested at least too is that the whole the tr- this book is a tragedy and that's the the a tragic romance which is the American genre par excellence right mm-hmm. like this yeah. is the main thing the big tragic romance where you 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 eat your tail uh, you do the snake thing I'm not gonna say what I'd like to, but you perform fellatio on yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the circular, the Ouroboros. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and so basically, what he Melville's point of this is that liberal individualism made him very sad. And he saw it as kind of a dead end, and he was like, "Well, why can't we just be like you know Emerson? Why can't we just be? Why can't we have a bunch of stuff that's all tense and conflicted?" And society said no, and thundered. No, they society doesn't say anything. We shan't personify it. <laughs> but the the problem the problem is that you basically for Melville, you can't fix society by living in a society. And but basically he's like he Ahab, but society man. And I think we'll get into this, but there's a lot of Melville's always surprising in the way that he actually touches on colonial violence and in a different way than Hawthorne sort of skirts around the violence in in talking about the memory of native people but he doesn't sort of do he doesn't do what melville does which is get sort of into that and i think it's why melville is a little bit more interesting when we talk about what people thought they were originating so mm-hmm. not not in the sense that there is anything original or exceptional about it but that what people thought that they were originating. And so there's a ton of stuff here about inheritance and property and value and value of feeling and value of relationship. And part of that one kind of critical strain goes is that we have a Europe-America thing going on here where Melville's trying to kind of incorporate these European Reformation Enlightenment ideas or that not that Melville's trying to do it, but that Melville thinks this is the project of America and perhaps the problem. But that basically, if we go back to uh, if we go back to Europe, we had feudalism, and because of this, because of this divine authority, if you want to change society and make it so that Delhi doesn't get kicked out and and have no money, and that what happens to Pierre doesn't happen, spoiler alert, he's super poor and dies. If you want to actually change any of this shit. What you have to do is say politics is historically contingent. And Melville in America can't quite do that, but he also can't get out of it either. So there's this quote unquote old world, new world thing, but that he never fully buys into. No, I mean, and and that it like... (laughs) That is why I, you know, love his stuff, and I mean, think he's so brilliant. And the, the, the sort of the 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 point you made about the kind of tragedy of uh, liberal individualism aspect of it. I mean, like that's at the heart of Benito Serino and fucking yeah. Bartleby and Moby Dick, right? And and I mean, and yeah, to, I I just yeah, I, I mean, and, and I I definitely see that here. Uh, and I mean, it is you know as 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 funny as it is to describe what this thing is. I do think it is really powerful novel but it's just it's it's 
overt uh, staking of itself in its weirdnesses and in aspects that could not help but be giving a giant middle finger to society, even though he apparently didn't really think that that's what he was doing. I just find, I don't know. It's just so like fraught and strange that I, I just in some ways find it harder to wrap my head around than those other great Melville works. I think I also struggle. And this is like, again, not a criticism at all that it has a degree of like, landedness that a lot of his other stuff doesn't for me so it's like it's um and and this is always the sort of like you know for anyone who's critical of property and melville is if if in a sort of like not particularized way that you know land in the americas is one of the the origin points for this but here of course it's it's an inheritance problem and that it goes to the wife the widow instead of the Mm -hmm. children which is like nutty and so it's harder for me here to wrestle with it than it is in like his the in benito sereno because like the oceanic unconscious or whatever we want to call it is like a different place like the location matters a lot am i wrong like i just think it's landedness is sort of important but i'm not it's the same thing where it's like how would you fucking write a book about this book because you're so often just like struggling at it? Like, I don't know how to make a claim about this book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, we- yeah. Oh, go ahead, Tristan. Okay. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, I mean, Mel- Melville is like the ship guy. I mean, hey, that's a big part of why I love it, right? But, yeah, he's the boat boy. <laughs> yeah, he's the boat boy. But I mean, he, you know, um, I think the, 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 both the promise and the sort of tragic failure of that is that, you know, the Pequod or even, even like his like, you know, quasi autobiographical travel shit like Type P and Omu, right? Like that, uh, that, okay, but there's, there's a way to get out of the US and it's, it's, it's nonsense. And, 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 but, but actually then the ship ends up like either just completely reproducing American power structures or producing its own, like even worse version of that. Um, but it is still, yeah, it's, it's elsewhere in a way that, that, um, opens up some sort of imaginative terrain. Whereas here, no, I think you're hundred percent right. Maybe the lad did this and that like all of those things that maybe the sort of like sea fictions try to speculate a way out of that fails here. We don't even have yeah. a way out of it. We're, we're, we're always already like deeply locked within that stuff right the effort is only to fold more in on itself right so if pierre is like i gotta solve this weird inheritance problem by marrying my own sister (laughs) it's like only making it it's only collapsing it more it's only becoming more fall of the house of usher yeah like the pequod sails to the other side of the world here it's okay wait marrying mom is too close i gotta marry it's just it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah yep yeah. That the world collapses as opposed, I mean, like, and it's not to say that, you know, Benito <laughs> is the weirdest example that the book, like, that the, the oceanic opens up something, but it, like, helps us to see something larger in a yeah. different kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, there's different kind of fantasies about sociality when you are on a boat. Right, because I it's mean- non, it's the heterotopia. Exactly. And just to be clear, like not an actual, you know, a boat. Yes, a literal boat, but Melville's boats. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and also, I mean, even to, I mean, one thing that we have other than to, to talk, you know, point out again and again, the sort of incest plot of this. Um, I mean, like queerness very broadly conceived and in sort of, you know, non-normative kind of sexualities. The ship, that's 
that's fine, right? Because I mean, that's totally the ship is a state of suspension of all of that. And here, I mean, it's you know, well, I mean, yeah, you know, Megan, your point about incest being so central to the American novel. I, I mean, all all aristocracies sort of like uh, you know root around that in some way. But it's also, I mean, it, it is always conceived of as non-normative and as aberrant, and so you know, it just. I don't know, aside from like the sister mom thing, I feel like that we are very much within the United States. That that you know, Oh, like, I think we have to be. Yeah. And and we have to be, and this sort of danger of it and and non-normativity of it is uh is so stark in some ways. Yeah, and it has to be the the journey so in the in the beginning of the book, we're in the country the whole time, essentially. Yeah, and it has to be that way, too, because you have to know that wherever you go in America, you're still there. Yeah. So the same problems that are the problems that displace him into the city are the reason why you can't run to the city to get away from them. Right. Right. I mean, I wonder, this is like, I'm I'm totally aware that this is like kind of a reach. So forgive me. But like, the other thing that always that often plays out in these sort of like sibling incest tropes is that the father, the or the autochthonic father, or whatever, is engaged in miscegenation. And like, that's very much the case in Absalom Absalom and uh, other books, too. And so it's like, this isn't miscegenation, but there is a sort of like, ethnicized yeah. crossing mm-hmm. here yeah yep. it, you're right it's not it's not racialized but i think it just the description of it like the dark yeah the the, the, it's the, some the alterity even yes. if it's sort of lower key than yeah. miscegenation yeah it there mm-hmm. there is definitely some otherness that isabel is meant to 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 signify i i think the reason why it can't be miscegenation exactly is because that would require us to be able to pinpoint something about the mother Oh yeah, I think that's right, and I think it would also. But like, I agree with you. Call up a bigger or more yes. explicit issue of the slave trade than Melville is just. Then he's dealing with here. You know, it's yeah. like he knows enough not to raise something and then drop it. That would be like not the point, but that he has to like produce this sort of like form of alterity to some degree, even if it's like way the stakes are a lot lower. Totally. Yes. And she's also like feral and animal or something like she does have this, this sort of this quality of, of, I don't know how to describe it. She absolutely does. She has a quality of, uh, it's, it's hard because in the first part, she, comes across like a very worldly baby. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the in the second part, she comes across like a less worldly toddler with a lot of she's very jealous as the she gets possessive. Mm. In the first part, she is involved in some kind of bizarro mutual possession type thing, and in the second half, I think she gets possessive in a way that's interesting and uh, what will unfold hmm. with property stuff too. Can I ask one question? I, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the portraiture too before we turn to the game, but uh, I just, the fact that, okay, so why is Isabel's family in the United States? They're refugees from revolutionary France, which could mean that, that they were- That cracks my shit up so much. <laughs> What's they're that? like, remember when the thing happened with the heads? And they're like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, so, so here's <laughs> the thing. 
maybe it's not any deeper than that, that. That's well, that's why these foreigners were here. But I did wonder: is there a suggestion of their, you know, their royalty or something? Royal, they're yeah, they're either yep. they're like an Anastasia story, or you know, like nobility oh. or something. You know what I mean? It's like okay, so why? You know, I I don't. I mean, maybe it's just like oh, there was a war, and that's why they want. But I mean, Melville's so highly attuned to sort of like political yes, landscapes absolutely. that I that I did wonder if they if they represent something like ultra ultra sort of like reactionary or past even in the concept of your anyway i don't know you know um it was just i i kind of underlined that was like i i wonder if this is important i feel like it is but i don't quite know how it does it doesn't come up in the second half but it comes up in the second Mm -hmm. half okay you can do that reading with all the support you want okay Um, (laughs) and there's also lots of struggle around the the mere issue of revolution in melville's whole canon right so it's like That's its own thing, too. I mean, that's one of the pleasures of this book is that, like, we have so much openness. We have, like, every thought has so many possibilities. Yeah, for sure. But I I look, I want to put a pin in that because I I think we should come back to it next time. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, like, well, I had two thoughts about, like, sort of a representation. And one is about the pictures, right? So it's, like, young, hot, you know, daddy plus old you know his mom thinks that's the real daddy and then there's also all this shit with pierre being like oh i was like virgil or Dante. i can't even remember and then he's like hamlet but there's also all this like weird Macbethy stuff and in that part also the narrator starts to go bonkers absolutely off the rails especially with respect to dante yeah yeah and i find myself yet again swimming around in herman melville's brain and i'm just like did they not have DMT in 1855? Like, where am I? Yeah. But the portraits are like, okay, again, this is like, we all know this from House of the Seven Gables, right? So the portrait is this something, it has a particular gravitational pull in novels in that it forces you to sort of like account for how well a painting or a photograph can even represent somebody. So if you see one in a book, you're like, oh, there's the double and it's supposed to do something. But what it's doing is always going to be fucked up. And that's true. We just talked about Dorian Gray, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Because Wilde is explicit that it's like, oh, this is not the thing that we want it. It's not the usual thing a portrait is. Yeah, I I, yeah. <laughs> I know I said to you guys I I uh, wonder if uh, if if Melville had a chance to read Dorian Gray before he died, which I think I that novel came out the same year that he did die, because just like Oscar, sir, uh, I, I I already <laughs> did the like horny for pictures book like fifty years ago, so you know, <laughs> so um, well done. Yeah, but yeah, horny, horny for pictures is right. Um, yeah, because he has the paint, the small, the the smaller painting of his dad in, in yeah. the closet, and he has yeah. to look at it and be like, "Damn, my dad!" And then his mom has the one she likes, which is like old dad. <laughs> but of course, these are two totally different people. Yeah, in the book, who are both idiots. Pierre Glendinning. Yes. Yeah. Well, which is he, him too? Which is Pierre, the Pierre we know and yeah. feel sort of i don't know we feel we don't love him but we like him okay yeah it's always cool when an aristo family has like one name you know <laughs> but uh just one they skipped the second they skipped they they went right to just, just no pierre they were just doing pierre what? over again what? Right. you love pierre the first time we're doing it again <laughs> second and third are gonna be even better yeah. well and the you know i mean the novel's so invested in narratives right so the big 
Pierre too, right? Because there's Pierre, I who knows what number. Pierre the dad, uh, that is Mrs. Glendenning's one. That's the that's the official patriarch one. And this one, the 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 closet uh dad painting was done <laughs> closet was dad the cl- yeah the cl- yeah, yeah, dad. Good. yeah yeah like was done by this for i i can't remember was it a cousin or or a friend or whatever but he like yes. yeah he he would uh, pierre's dad would Better never let him paint in so but he like he was like oh my friend's like, like subterfuge yeah it, yes, yeah yeah like he's, and he was like you better not be painting me yeah. i feel like you're painting me are you painting and me? the reason the fred wants to do it is because he knows that he's really horny for this french lady he's like aha so this would be an interesting emotion for me to capture <laughs> so it's but it's so it's like it's it's covert it's like decidedly not the official narrative of who this guy is right and and yeah and so that that when you say they're different people i mean I mean, there's certainly different narratives, which might count as the same sort of thing, at least as in terms of the social function of the person they represent. <laughs> I like to get a. I like to paint my picture when someone is down bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I also like something that you're raising too is that like Melville is just unnarratable people, and I mean characters, but I also sort of mean people are like part of his whole vibe right so like you turn up this other representation which is dante or a painting or whatever and you're like well maybe that's not actually any better because you're still showing us this unnarratable thing yeah yeah and that the doubles keep doubling yes so typically when you've got that's part of what makes it unnarratable is not just the 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 picturiness of the picture but the fact that in everyone's a painting of the same guy mm-hmm. and but they're also sort of characters but sort of not and the back of it and, is always fucked up <laughs> yeah yep that is a funny scene when he when he turns the painting over and he's like no the back is gross so yeah. i have to put it in a drawer covered in silk or whatever it's <laughs> what you do with pictures of your dad oh yeah yeah definitely yes more more normal <laughs> yeah da- yes give me the picture of your dad like it's your porn stash is uh is is, mm-hmm. is extremely regular uh i found a shoebox of dad painting <laughs> 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 but the uh but is that another on the on the, the the sort of the, the literary double eight or whatever the you know the, the the shakespeare and the dante references there is this one line i guess it's chapter three of book nine or something like that right um if among the deeper significance of its pervading indefiniteness which significances are wisely hidden from all but the rarest adepts the pregnant tragedy of hamlet convey any one particular moral at all fitted to the ordinary use of man it is this that all meditation is worthless unless a prompt to action that it is not for man to stand shelly shall amid the conflicting invasions of surrounding impulses that in the earliest instant of conviction the roused man must strike and if possible with the precision and the force of the lightning bolt and actually it's it, it seems to imply that that's not right it, that uh, uh, I, this with significance of which are uh, wisely hidden from all but the rarest adepts like suggesting that, <sighs> that that most people read this badly and i think that pierre also is reading hamlet and dante badly Right. Yeah, but also that he's—it's just that usual Herman Melville returning to Benito Serino thing, where it's like, "Good job, dumb dumb reader, yeah. you big dumb dumb yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah, Have yeah, fun yeah. with this nut, this like non-referential referent." Yeah. Even people I made up are bad at reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Even the people I made up are bad at reading. But I'm going to surround them with these representations that demand interpretation that they can't do, nor can you, because you're a dumbass. Even though I think you're going to love this book and make me the fucking <laughs> Stephen King of the midnight. 
19th century, right? <laughs> <laughs> he can hate you and think that you would love it. I mean, yeah, he I, miscalculated. I, I, I love, I fucking love this idea. It's like, I, here, Benito Serino, you know what this is? This is your fucking racist asshole. Here, buy it. Don't you want to buy this? You know? Buy the magazine, you dolt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, God. What a, Didn't what you a know beautiful... how big a racist you are? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what a beautiful mind. <laughs> beautiful mind is right. Truly he, without peer. He had it all. And gave it all to his sister. Oh my god! Should we play a game? We should. Well, we should play a game called "Let's Make Kerman Melville Sad from Beyond the Grave." <laughs> so there are some super, super, super mean reviews of Pierre, and there are three of them in particular that I think that we might like to to chat about. And I would like to find a winner here about which one is the most the most fair. The most tough but fair. <laughs> Which one would we characterize as tough but fair? Okay. So first we have, uh, this one is titled, From the Sublime to the Ridiculous. Oh boy. So far so, so good. Yeah. I so mean, far so yeah. good. And th- these are super mean. Uh, Mr. Melville has evidently taken hold of a subject which has mastered him and led him into all manner of vagaries. He is more at home in the manifold intricacies of a ship's rigging than amid the subtleties of psychological <gasps> phenomena. Mean. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Shit, I gotta go back because um I missed the I missed the great part. Okay. <laughs> this is this, yeah. The the characters are absurdly paradoxical and greatly overdrawn. This is the point. Yeah. The incidents are impossible <laughs> in real life. Yeah. Okay. And the whole book is utterly unworthy of Mr. Melville's genius. You're better than that, Melville. It is. It unquestionably contains a vast deal of power, but it amounts to nothing and accomplishes nothing but a climax too horribly unnatural to be thought of. I'm sorry. It sounds like this person has an appreciation for like the sea fiction. So it's like, I'm sorry. Did you think Moby Dick was realistic, sir? Yes. This is what I was thinking. I was just like, remember that painting in Moby Dick where the whale is like, I splashed myself all over a boat. (laughs) It's doing the fucking sperm whale is doing like 150 feet of free willy action. If there's anything I think about Moby Dick, it's about its realist novel qualities. (laughs) You remember that nature documentary that Melville wrote (laughs) well yeah it was based on a true story um which weirdly is true (laughs) but he he paid attention to interesting parts yeah as far as the ship being more at home and ships rigging than in the intricacies of psychology so why that's just i mean i sympathize there you know well yes he knew where melville was at home so i think (laughs) i think this is sort of this is something right Okay, so we're this one's real mad at Pierre. A literary mare's mare's nest. A literary mare's nest. Say that. <laughs> no, that's not wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Melville may have constructed his story upon some new theory of art to a knowledge of which we have not yet transcended. <laughs> Certainly. He evidently has constructed it according to the established principles of the only theory accepted by us until assured of a better, of one more true more natural than truth and nature themselves, which is the germinal principles of all true art. The pivot of the story is the pretended marriage of Pierre with his sister in order to conceal her illegitimacy and protect his father's memory. This is all true. Apart from the obvious, the very obvious way of gaining the same object at an infinitely smaller cost, it is natural that a loving youth should cast away the affection of his mother and his betrothed 
and the attachment of a home, to hide a dim stain upon his father's memory, and to enjoy the love of an equivocal sister? Pierre not only acts absurdly, but pretends to act from a sense of duty. He's battling for truth and right, and the first thing he does on behalf of truth is to proclaim the whole world a falsehood. The next thing he does is to commit, in behalf of right, half a dozen most foul wrongs. The combined power of New England transcendentalism and Spanish Jesuitical casistry could not have more completely befogged nature and truth than this confounded Pierre has done. What? Okay. So, first of all... Did this reviewer not get the whole intrafamilial banging plot of the first? Oh, um, no, he didn't. Uh, well, <laughs> kind of, uh, because we, we cannot pass a remark. We cannot pass without remark the super sensuousness with which the holy relations of the family are described. Mother, son, brother, and sister are sacred facts not to be disturbed by any sacrilegious speculations. Mrs. Glendening and Pierre, mother and son, call each other brother and sister and are described with all the coquetry of a lover and mistress. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and again, we have termed the super sensuousness of description, the horrors of an incestuous relationship between Pierre and Isabel seem to be vaguely hinted at. <laughs> vaguely. vaguely hinted at. Vaguely hinted Did at. Did we read the same book? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very vague. Very vague. Uh, I, yeah, wow. It's interesting that he think that the, the Spanish casuistry, which it's like, wow. The, we, I feel like we're in Britain with some like rabid anti-Catholics there. I, I, it's funny. I actually think that this book is like, or, I'm sorry, not this book, maybe, but Pierre is like kind of deeply against casuistry, right? Like the the which is the yes. the, the the it's it, it does go to a Jesuitical tradition, right? Which it's the basically you 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 look at a moral situation and you basically you know the, it, it acknowledges moral vagaries and that you sort of you know you do you do your calculations to figure out the kind of right course of action. And actually, Reverend Falsgrave does sort of like do like suggest that at one point where he's kind of like hem hawing about like you know if it's good or bad to like kind of kick. Uh, Delhi out of the community and Pierre's like, fuck that. No, like, you know, I mean, so Pierre actually has this sort of ironclad morality that I think is what's leading him astray and not, you know what I mean? I, I just, yeah, that's kind yeah. of, a, that's just a weird thing to fixate on. Yeah. Pierre is not a, he's not, he's not logicking himself out of doing stuff. He's anti-logicking himself into doing stuff. Right. Yes. Yeah. He's specifically renouncing that whole deal. Yeah. But you know, the okay guy. Yeah. And then we have we have a beautiful review, of course. The um, we're, we're not doing we're not doing Herman Melville crazy because it's it's the it, as I mentioned previously, it is the Babylon Bee of uh of the 19th century. Right. This review, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's a pro-slavery newspaper wrote that, right? Yeah, it's really uh, yeah. It was like, are you talking about the oh, Economist? Sorry. Oh, burn, the New York probably. Post. Um, <laughs> the New York Post, really? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. I was like, hey, you don't fucking know. I mean, could they? I'm sure have book reviews in the Economist that are hilarious. Oh, now I have to think about the book reviews in the Economist. <laughs> this is the meanest one. It's by anonymous, so no, by no uh, self-respect. Yeah, by a by a wiener. I would respect a review from a wiener. <laughs> um. 
We really have nothing to add to the severity of the critical notices which have already appeared in respect to this elegantly printed volume. For in truth, the notices we have seen have been severe enough to satisfy the author as well as the public that he has strangely mistaken his own powers and the patience of his friends in presuming to leave his native element, the ocean, and his original business of harpooning whales for the mysteries and, quote, ambiguities of metaphysics, love, and romance. It may be, however, that the heretofore intelligible and popular author has merely assumed his present transcendental metamorphosis in order that he may have range and scope enough to satisfy the ridiculous pretensions of some of our modern literati. Mm, Who are modern said. literati? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the, the, this, this jackass, I guess. <laughs> this um, anonymous jackass. Yeah. Um, here's the review. In, in this very, They're going to do it in the style of Melville. Oh, fun. Melodiously breathing an inane mysteriousness into the palpable airiness of our unsearchable sanctum, this wonderful creation of its ineffable author's sublime winging imagination has been fluttering its snow-like invested pinions upon our multitudinous table. Mysteriously breathing an inane melody, it has been beautifying the innermost recesses of our visual organs with the luscious purpleness and superb goldness of its exterior adornment. We have listened to its outbreathing of sweet swarming sounds and their melodious, mournful, wonderful, unintelligible melodiousness has dropped like pendulous glittering icicles with soft ringing silveriness upon our never-to-be-delighted sufficiently organs of hearing. <sighs> what do you think of the pendulous icicles? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a Melvillian turn of phrase. <laughs> from yeah, thing. for sure. <laughs> almost get it. Yeah, they almost get it. But we have pendulous icicles and just uh, two more. And you tell me which one's fairest. Okay. That that one is just pretentious. Ridiculous. Yeah, don't try to do Melville unless you're Melville. This work is generally considered a failure. Pierre, as we take it, is crazy, and the merit of the book is clearly presenting the psychology of his madness, but the details of such a mental malady as that which affects Pierre are almost as disgusting as those of physical disease itself. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. The review is titled Intolerably Unhealthy. Who? Some There's some review that refers to something, somebody as a moral leper, and I feel like that's what that was. Yeah, for sure. It is the moral the moral. The moral leprosy of um, Melville. Last one. It's you have to you have to respect its straightforwardness. George Washington Peck, not the president, the pecker. A bad book. <laughs> Affected in dialect, unnatural in conception, repulsive in plot, and inartistic in construction. Such is Mister Melville's worst and latest work. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, there's only a few words that are wrong because it's his best and latest, well, his very nearly best and latest work. And it's a good book that is also super perverted. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. True. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I, 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 my old reading that Pierre was just, not Pierre, that Melville was so pissed off at everyone. And he was like, fine, take this. Uh, that it's like that guy did. I mean, like that is the reaction I was thinking that was what Melville was going for, you know? So, yeah. But anyway. Herman Melville uh, pervert, I think yeah. is really what they all yeah. wanted to say. Yeah, exactly. The Herman Melville perfect yeah. is what I want to say. <laughs> I, know, I agree. A perfect, wonderful pervert. Yes. He has given us a very nebulous book. Yeah. And that's true. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I Thank like you, that Herman. last one because I really think that it 
is actually correct except that it's the best book yeah exactly yeah 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 it, it gets a lot of stuff except that like but you're saying that this is bad when it's actually good <laughs> you know <laughs> i know he read it i, yeah, that's I know true. He read yeah. It. yeah he does close readings to make fun of it later but you can tell he read it <laughs> yeah people really got their panties in a wad over this book yeah they did can't imagine why more omu where have you gone the herman melville that we knew and loved and also made fun of in mean ways. <laughs> yeah, be nice to Melville. If there's one thing that we've learned today, it's be nice to Melville. He's probably going through something. <laughs> He's probably going through a couple things. Yeah. Thanks, guys. This has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Teslasaurus. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail. Dot com, but only if you have – just make up a review of this that's as mean as possible. <laughs> but it's fun. It has to be funny. Those aren't – never mind. Those aren't very funny. No, they're not. They're, they're absolutely not. <laughs> because they don't understand that being a pervert is cool. <laughs> no, they don't. <sighs> anyway, our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with our permission. Our logo is created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Rate, review, and subscribe. Next week, we have Pierre, part two. We're keeping it to part two just because of restraint. <laughs> and the talented Mr. Ripley on deck after that with Devin Daniels of You're Tall, But I'm Standing in Front of You. So thanks, comrades. Thanks.